This is Ebody and X, and welcome to the Candid Frame. This episode of the Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. We also have the support of lynda.com, who with over 2,000 high-quality and engaging videos, provides a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. lynda.com is there to help you learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. To take advantage of their 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame. That's L-Y-N-D-A forward slash the candid frame. We have talked to a lot of people who have transitioned from one successful career into another. However, it's rare to see someone make that transition into a photographic career while still in their 20s. Jeff Rojas did just that, and along with his partner, Lindsay Adler, each has created a successful career as both a photographer and educator. But as you'll hear, making a career as a photographer is more about having a clear vision of what you want instead of just focusing on the things you know you don't want to do. I began my talk with Jeff by asking him why the visual arts has become so important to him. Um, I grew up uh, with my uncle and my mom kind of being my inspiration. My uncle was a, uh, an artist, um, kind of freehand drawing. My mom was a very creative individual and it was, it was her creative outlets. It wasn't necessarily the profession and I saw how happy it made them and my uncle kind of took me under his wing and had me draw. So it really, the foundation of it makes me feel like a child, you know, it's, it's mm. a sense of glee. So, uh. Visually, photography came to me as a an extension of, of drawing. So it reminds me of my happy child moments, if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. So how did it start segueing from drawing to picking up a, a camera? <laughs> You're going to laugh. I got lazy. Um, <laughs> I got really lazy. I decided that um, I used to draw a lot. And what I realized, it, it could take weeks and even months to finish a piece, whether it be a painting or a drawing. And I, um, I had put that down to work full time. I was working uh, in private equity and I didn't have the time to dedicate to, to drawing anymore. And more or less about that, that same time I had picked up my first camera and it, it literally felt like an extension of my photography, of, of my drawing. And uh, what I realized is even with retouching and even with editing, it still was short a time frame to get a final product. So I kind of look at it as a, as a quick way of being able to replicate what you're trying to draw. You had a, a, a career, as you just mentioned, in private equity. And so this photography thing is sort of a second career for you. But most people, it was. Most people don't make the switch as young as you, as you did usually wait until they're much older to realize this is not for me and I need to make a change. So 
Why did you make the change as young as you did when a lot of people would, you know, say, hey, I got a comfortable living. I don't want to give this up to have to start from scratch all over again. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because it, working in any type of finance or working in any type, type of sales job, you're going to be sitting behind a desk for, I would say, 12 to 14 hours a day. And in doing that, um, I would analyze my, my environment and my coworkers are two, three times older than I am doing the same thing for several lifetimes or my lifetimes at that point over. And not a single one looked happy if that made any sense. And it wasn't until uh, looking at, at everyone else and thinking, they're not happy. Am I going to be happy in their position? Am I going to be able to, to look back at my life and think, I wish it have, I would have done something different? And I think having a bunch of uh, older people around me kind of being mentors that would say, listen, look, do what you love. If this, is, if this is something that makes you happy, continue doing it. But if this is something that, that you're just doing for a paycheck, you know, by all means, then you need to find something that you love to do. Because all of us, not all of us, but most of them, I think, had regrets about where they were in life. And they would just look forward to the weekends and look forward to nighttime. And I didn't, I didn't want that to be my life. That's not something I wanted for myself. So, uh, you know, more or less about that time, I, uh, you know, I met uh, my business partner, Lindsay, and she was doing photography and I saw she was traveling and, and doing things that I wanted to do, but couldn't do, not financially, but because of time dedicated to the work. And uh, that was kind of my inspiration there. So, so tell me, how did you exactly did you meet Lindsay? How did that uh, relationship flower? Um, when I, after work, I would uh, I would travel out to a Unique Photo in Fairfield, New Jersey, to assist a friend of mine who's the who was the marketing director for Unique Photo. And uh, one of our agreements was I would almost be a second assistant to learn photography and learn the steps of photography and from different instructors. And uh, in exchange for my time, kind of setting up sets. And setting up uh, lights and, and kind of making sure everything was okay for the instructors who were going to be there. And uh, they had a big conference. And I ended up meeting Lindsay there. And I had no idea who she was. It was, uh, it was just kind of mutual. And uh, both of our personalities were coming from sales. You try to be a, a chameleon, if you will. And we just started feeding off with one another and called each other out on that, that, uh, that sales tactic of trying to replicate each other's personalities. Um, I don't think it was until about four or five personalities in that we, we <laughs> realized what we were doing. So how did you, um, you know, start building a relationship where you were learning from, from, from her? Um, you were um, in that position I think she was a, a great mentor uh, for, the, for the fundamentals, kind of the business fundamentals of, of photography in that it, she's, she's very young, you know, being at the time she's 27, author of three books, um, I kind of looked at what she was doing overall and kind of compared it to what I was doing at work full time. And she was doing the same thing plus extra, meaning she was working the 12 to 14 hour days plus the, plus the extra, you know, eight hours a day and sleeping very little at night, you know, just dedicated to something, but she wasn't as tired. So I kind of looked at that and said, okay, well, how does she multitask? Like, what is she doing throughout her day in order to become a, a successful entrepreneur? And uh, looking at what she started doing, I, I started realizing what she was doing and try to replicate those and kind of uh, 
work on what I saw could have been improved. You know, and obviously advising her saying, hey, listen, look, you could do this better. Or you could do that better and doing it myself and, and shortening the, the learning curve that she had, if that made any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And it's kind of interesting in terms of your approach to it is that you were observing her in terms of her business practices. And I think that a lot of people first look at the creative and they think about, well, I need to master the creative before I start even thinking about the business practices. But it seems like you kind of flip that script. Why, why do you think that was so important for you to be able to make the successful transition from what you were doing to photography and video? We, uh, I think as, as individuals, I mean, we have a certain lifestyle we want to commit to. You know, if you want to travel, you can't really travel on, on a shoestring budget, if you will. You know, there's not many, I mean, you can, it's just not going to take you very far. You know, if you have $100 in your bank account, how far can that possibly take you? Uh, as opposed to if you had a thousand, where could that take you? And if you had a ten thousand, where would that take you? You know, it's that thought process of, I want to do this as a creative. I want to do this as a creative outlet, but I need to be rational about it and think, you know, how do I, how can I pay for me to be able to do this? You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things even in photography that you may do uh, for free. You know, if you photograph a celebrity for free. In order to do that, you need you need to still have money in your bank account. I, I think I understood that from the private equity side of things and the sales side of things, of understanding that regardless of what you're trying to do, uh, that you need some capital to be able to do that. So when you finally gave your notice for your for your old job, tell me about what point did you have to reach before you felt like okay, I'm ready to, you know, go to my boss and tell them I'm leaving. I'm gonna go do this creative thing i'm going to be an artist you know what what goals did you set out for yourself exactly what were they uh, so so people can have a an idea in terms of what you had set up for yourself i think more so than anything making sure that you your your liabilities are covered uh being aware of accounting you know knowing that okay my liabilities are 1500 bucks a month or two thousand dollars a month can i cover that with the current income i'm making from uh, photography presently. And if not, if I were to devote the extra time um, shooting that I'm at work, will that capital uh, be covered or will I have enough capital to cover those liabilities? So once I kind of figured that out, that my liabilities were less than uh, what I was bringing in, you know, which means net profit, that's what made me want to do that. I've seen some students that will go into business with each other thinking mm -hmm. that it's going to be somehow easier doing it mm -hmm. with a partner who shares their, their passion for photography. Uh, but I've seen very few of those things, few of those relationships be successful because there's a difference in terms of work ethic. There's a difference in terms of priority. Uh, what's allowed you and Lindsay to be a successful team in terms of your collaboration with each other? I would have to say mutual respect, kind of knowing that from, from day one, we set this, this precedent of, I, I kind of want to do what you do, but in the same token, I don't want to be a couple photographer or I don't want to be uh, a pair of photographers. I want to be two individuals who are successful. So respecting one another's visions and ideas and, and what each other is looking for and kind of helping each other where necessary, as opposed to being on top of one another 24 seven. So we, we've, we have two separate businesses, but we help each other grow those two businesses. So it's almost a mutual arrangement. And I think friends that do that as well, um, I think that's good advice for them is, is not, I mean, not to necessarily 
dive in right away, kind of learning and, and teasing the water and, and figuring yourselves out before you guys make that mutual relationship, seeing if you can even work together in the first place. You know, you don't want, it's almost like a, a marriage. You kind of want to date first before you go get married. That's a good uh, idea. I feel the same way in business. Um, so how would you differentiate what you do with what she does? Because you guys both practice um, fashion photography, portraiture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if people were going to ask you without having had the benefit of looking at your images, what do you think distinguishes your work from hers? Uh, these days, I, she's very um, she's very clean and clean and, and bold. I tend to be dramatic and simple. You know, I like simple concepts with attention to detail. And, and that took me a long time to learn. I've spent the last, I would say, year and a half kind of differentiating my work from hers um, and making sure that my work wasn't a representation of what she was doing and, and kind of building my own brand and my own identity. So I would say she's clean and bold. Mine's more simple and dramatic. For me, it's a, an important question because I've seen there are a couple of photographers who I've seen who I looked at their work and immediately I wanted to look into their background because they reminded me of the work of Mary Ellen Mark because they were mm-hmm. using square format, they were using flash. And when I did my research, I almost inevitably found with both of them that they had studied at some point with, with her and that they had really adopted her style. And And I know that that was sort of a concern for you. So how did you ensure that you were able to learn from her, learn, you know, all the technical stuff, um, learn how to, you know, see, use light, work with subjects, but still create a body of work that was more specific to your sensibility rather than hers? I, I basically decided that I wanted to learn everything that she had first, you know, so I did start by taking a lot of the nuances that she was doing. Like my work now isn't what it was a year and a half ago. Like my work very much was beauty photography, replicating what I had learned from her. And it wasn't until sitting down one day and saying, you know, is this something I want to do in five, 10 years? You know, how am I looking back at what we mentioned before about separating yourself um, instead of being a couple of photographers as two individual photographers, my work uh, works so much or so close to hers, it's not my own. And I kind of sat down for a week and decided what really inspires me as a person, aside from her, aside from anybody else that I'm around, aside from the photography educational uh, instructors outside of our field, who can I look at to say, I love that person's work, you know, and and what do I like about these people's work? And there's two photographers in mind, which is uh, Grant Thomas and you have uh, Billy Kidd, and I loved their work. Uh, Billy Kidd's is a very, very simplistic style with uh, a lot of his, his work is natural light. And I just fell in love with that. And it reminded me of, of drawing back in high school. Um, and my favorite two mediums then were white chalk on black uh, construction paper or uh, black ink on white paper and, and kind of replicating those. So taking the simplistic style of that, going back to my developmental years of, of high school and, and early college and saying, I want to incorporate everything together and I want to make it me. And that's kind of where my style came from. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. When it comes to showing off your work, presentation can be just as important as content. 
Whether you're a professional photographer or a dedicated enthusiast, it's important to display your work as cleanly and effectively as possible. And Squarespace provides you just that. With its latest update, Squarespace 7, you have both choice and control. You can make your website or blog look exactly the way you want it to and need it to be. It's really time for you to move beyond Facebook and Flickr and really see how great your photographs can look today with your own website using Squarespace. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14-day free trial. You don't need a credit card. Just create an account and go for it. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Was there uh, a particular shoot or uh, a series of uh, assignments that you had where you felt like this is it, where you kind of realized that you had maybe not completely discovered the voice, but were on the right track in terms of the direction that you wanted to go? Absolutely. Um, there was one day I set up a shoot to do 21 different light setups. Um, three days. I, I kind of try to replicate different magazine covers to figure out, is this something that I could potentially replicate? Because I, I like to do commercial work. So could I do this? And if I could do this, do I want to do this? Does this feel like me? And it was funny because during every 21 light setup, um, I would do a shot of natural light to see the difference between my subject, the styling, and then the end product. And I was using a V-flat natural light shooting through a window diffused. And I liked those photos 10 times more than anything else that I had photographed versus those 20, 21 light setups. The only one that I did like was uh, the, sim- the simple light setup, which was the, uh, the Westcott Zeppelin. And that was it. Like that, a black V-flat. So I kind of decided at that moment, I like simple things. I don't need to overcomplicate things. So I think that was my defining day of... This is me. This is what I want to do. I think it's really important to sort of discover that for yourself. Because it's, it's, we often think about, especially when we're beginning, is thinking about what other people are going to say or what they're going to want, especially when you're thinking about business clients. And it often leads us to think far more complicated than is probably healthy for us. Mm-hmm. And, and it, so in, in terms of you discovering that for yourself, how did you have to rethink in terms of what your clients may want in terms of what their needs are and trying to make it fit with your particular style? Because they may have an idea of what their images to look like and, and they have expectations in terms of seeing how other photographers sort of work. And you, as you just said, you're trying to come from a very sort of simple, very straightforward approach. So part of working with a client is, is sort of convincing that your particular approach uh, is going to allow them to achieve what they want as well as what you want. It's a long-winded question, but I hope I, I, I kind of make clear what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I get it. Um, I lo- so one of the reasons that I, I like working with smaller independent brands is because they're trying to just do that, build up their brand identity and learning what they want out of out of their products. So let's say 
for example, you have somebody that has a, a suit company. It's a men's suit company, and they, this is what they want to showcase. Um, they've probably done things on a shoestring budget where photographers are shooting their, their product for free in, in exchange for credit and, and that sort of ambiance. And what happens with them specifically is that they have five different styles to their photography, so they don't have one brand identity. So the first thing I do when I sit with any client is this is, this is, the, uh, this is the stylistic approach that I am known for and that I like, but that doesn't mean that this is the only thing that I can do. So what is it that you guys want to be known for? So I kind of get involved almost in art direction with every client that I have um, and saying, okay, what's, what do you want to do? Um, the next thing I wind up doing with them is doing almost a, a forward agreement and saying, I will do this with you guys as long as you guys sign a contract for the next three years to work with me to build brand identity for them. So I, even if I like shoot my specific style, that's the specific style they have for the next three terms. Or if they're asking me to shoot something different, I'll shoot that for the next three terms for them. Um, I've also, with Lynn's, if she's unavailable for a client, I've also shot her clients as well in her style. Mm-hmm. So they kind of know that I can mimic different people's styles. So I'm also known for that behind the scenes of, of photography education. Well, we, we, you talked about what you could learn from, from Lindsay. What do you think that she got from you as part of your collaboration with I know this is um, probably a, good, a better question for her, but I, I, I still <laughs> want to hear what your, your opinion is. Maybe simplicity. Um, I generally don't have many people on set anymore. Uh, the second I stopped shooting my personal projects to include mostly women, I was able to kind of stray away from using makeup artists to begin with. Um, I no longer use lavish backgrounds. And I do things almost on a shoestring budget. So I don't need to come out of my pocket on set. I buy people lunch, but I don't, I don't pay anyone on set anymore. Like everyone's there for, for them to help out one another. One another. And I, in doing so, everything's so close-knit and, and relationships are a little tighter, you know, because you're working with a smaller group and, and a smaller ambiance. So I think those personal relationships helped because of my simplicity. And I think that that's been kind of in her mind lately, I'd hope. You wrote an article on uh, being an assistant to a photographer, and I know that a lot of people think about, well, that would be a great opportunity to learn um, from someone by being an assistant. But since you came from a, a bit of that, that that kind of experience, and I'm sure that people approach you all the time about assisting you or assisting, assisting Lindsay, what are some of the things that you think that people who want to do that should think about that they usually don't? Um, my intern now, specifically, I, I think she should have thought more about what she wanted to do herself and how my work would have helped her um, and what my body of work would have helped her. I think a lot of people want to assist people just because of their name, but don't, take, don't understand what they, they're looking to get out of that specific person. For example, if you have a food photographer who's going to come and assist a fashion photographer, what are, what are they trying to get out of assisting? Um, and I think that has a lot to do with their attitude on set. You know, somebody who's more willing and adept to learning a new concept or technique wants to be on set and is showcasing that they want to be on set. They're a little happier than somebody who just isn't getting anything out of it. 
And I think that's, that's an important aspect of wanting to assist someone. What do you get out of helping them? And what are you looking for when someone come? you know, when you're, when you're open to someone coming and, and working for you as an intern or assistant, what are the qualities uh, beyond, you know, the, the, the basic sort of technical knowledge? What do you want from <laughs> um, them? I like underdog stories. I like people that have never been given chances before and want to do something with themselves. Not say they want to do something, actually are doing something with themselves. Um, for example, my intern, she comes up from a rough up, upbringing and uh, she's, wa- she's wanting to better herself. She's wanting to better her lifestyle. So one of the discussions that we always have her, between her and I is, I want the best for you, you know, but I want you to show me that you want the best for you first. You know, I'm willing to help you as long as you're willing to help yourself. So people that are self-sufficient and eager to learn. Do you, do you see yourself as a bit of an underdog? <laughs> um, I feel that way. I feel that way a lot of times. Why, why is that? Um, I, so just a quick insight about me. I, I moved up from Florida uh, to New York City about eight years ago. And I'm actually a, a college dropout. I was studying uh, aerospace engineering in Florida. And I moved here when I was 18 on the cusp of 19. And so seven seven years ago. And uh, my first job I found in three days, uh, specifically because I wanted to find a job. I wasn't going to let anyone say no. After I moved here on a Saturday or Sunday, and I had a job by Tuesday. And um, a lot of it had to do with, hey, I don't have a degree, but I'm willing to work. You know, this is what I have to showcase for you. And the first person to give me a, a job was working as an account manager for a data recovery company in New York City. And uh, people gave me a lot of opportunity regardless if I had the educational experience just based on my, my personality and my will to do something. And I kind of want to pay it forward. You're a bit of a scrapper then. Yeah, you got to be. You have to be. <laughs> were you always like that? Do you think uh, even from when you were a young kid or was that something that you kind of developed out of necessity? I think I, I, it's a part of being a child and developing out of necessity. My parents are, are very young. Uh, my mom had me when she was 18, turning 19. So I kind of grew up with her, not, you know, grew up under her wing, but she's like an older sister. So I kind of saw the way that they were struggling. I learned a lot and kind of learned from their mistakes. So I got the scrappiness out of them. So how does that help you in terms of a career in an industry which is highly competitive, which is not very forgiving, and uh, can be really harsh on the emotions at times? <laughs> um, being an emotional person is part of being a creative. Um, I think we all, we all get in those little ruts. But uh, I, don't, I don't take... I don't take no for an answer. You know, there's always a, there's, there's always a dollar sign on somebody's kind of head. Like say if you wanted a sponsorship for whatever reason, or you wanted a new client or you wanted something, there's a rhyme and reason they'll say yes. You just kind of figure out the, what the, what the yes is and, and not willing to, uh, not willing to take no for an answer, kind of going up there and, and t- doing whatever it takes to get that. Yes. Although not being a stalker, cause that would be a little too far. <laughs> um, I think that's just it. That's my personality. That's how I've always been. It's just wanting to prove to myself that I was able to do something with myself. Can you give me an example of something in your photographic career where you really had to fight for it or you really had to be persistent about it in order to get it? Um, 
<laughs> you're going to laugh. Creative Live was something I've always wanted to do since the, the first time I decided I wanted to do uh, photography just because I was like, you know what? I want to make it up to that level. This is what I want to do. Um, teaching was something I wanted to do. But um, I never used Lindsay's name uh, to get any, any credibility anywhere. Um, I wanted, to, I learned what she did and I try to, to replicate what she was doing. But, uh, there was a lot of times where people would say like, no, who are you? You know, what, what do you have to showcase? What do you have to, to prove? And, um, there are a lot of times where I was literally just looking for an opportunity to do something, either teach somewhere or teach what I know or, or showcase my work in some capacity. And I, I couldn't tell you how many times I got no. Um, Creative Live was the first first big um, platform for me to be able to say, I want to do this. This is something, I'm meaning teaching. Teaching is something that I want to do. I want to showcase me and my personality. And I got a lot of no's. I got a lot of no's. But at the same token, they saw that I was persistent, that this is something that I wanted. And I was teaching in smaller spaces. And they finally budged and said yes after, I would say, at least a year and a half of me bugging them. And that was the first time I taught there, uh, which was a, a video class with Lindsay. We spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on photo equipment, computers, and software. But that only gets you so far as a photographer. What really matters is the time we spend shooting and where we choose to learn from. If you spend a lot of time scouring the internet for photo tips, you know how hit and miss it can be. Lynda.com takes all the guesswork out of it by providing thousands of hours of great content from vetted and talented photographers and instructors. You can experience this for yourself and watch over 2,000 quality videos for free for a limited time. I've worked out a special deal with Lynda.com to provide you with unlimited access to the entire library for free for 10 days. Visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame. That's lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to start your 10 day free trial and help support the show. You know, um, part of being sensitive is sometimes being concerned with what other people think or feel about you or your work. But you also, on the flip side of that, have to have a very thick skin. So for you, how much does other people's opinions about you and your work matter? My honest answer, my honest attitude to life, and this probably comes from the scrappiness part, is I actually look at the people that are criticizing my work in any capacity, good or bad or, or anything, and decide where that, where that tone and that criticism is coming from, how much that person actually influences what I'm doing, and where is that person going to be in the next year, five years, 10 years in regards to my relationship. And that's a very quick thought process because ultimately what I'm thinking is, does that person's opinion really matter? And if it really matters, then I'll take it to heart and make it a, a subjective, or sorry, a, uh, I'll, I'll take it into consideration. But if it really doesn't matter, why should I care? And I, like I said, I think a lot of that comes from my scrappiness, but that, that has helped me infinitely not to be an emotional person and make logical decisions. 
Well, that's good advice. The, the, the course that you're going to be doing at Creative Live at the end of the month is about photographing men. And tell us about, um, about the course, but, but let's start off in terms of the appeal of the male subject, because for a lot of fashion stuff, it's, it's heavily weighted towards women. What's the mm -hmm. appeal for you in terms of photographing men that, that's different from photographing women? You know, one of the things we're taught in doing photography is shoot what you know. And I have photographed a lot of women. I've done women's fashion. But I don't wear dresses. I don't, you know, <laughs> as much as I can admire it, I, I don't know what it's like to put a dress on and feel elegant. Like, I'm never going to know what that feels like unless I put one on. And that's a different story. Um, you're not going to know what it feels like. You're not going to as a man, know what it's like walking down in said gown or said piece. Um, and with women, it's easy because you're looking at a beautiful woman, excuse me, for women shooting fashion, it's a little easier because they can tell the way a piece is supposed to be structured and the best angles and the best light. I spend most of my day uh, just like getting emails from like Jack Threads and Uncrate and all these men's warehouses and fashion houses. And that's actually what interests me as a, as a man. And I thought, you know what? That's actually what I just know. I shoot fashion anyway. I'm more catered. Like I know what a suit looks like when it, or what a suit's supposed to look like on me. I know that uh, fit of clothing the way that it's supposed to be. So I have a more personal appeal to to photographing men because I actually care about what the final product looks like mm -hmm. instead of it just being a pretty picture. It actually has to have a part of me in it. Are you a, are you a clothes horse? <laughs> um, I love, I, I collect a lot of clothes <laughs> these days. So does it help to have photographers are not particularly known for their style? You know, <laughs> but, but that being said, do you feel like you have a style, a sensibility in terms of your relationship with clothes? And if so, does that help you in terms of your photographing men? In You know, it's funny fashion? when I'm on set and this is, this is all clients know this when I'm on set, I'm wearing jeans and a black hoodie because that's actually what I'm comfortable in outside in the event space, or if you see me on the street, I'll dress differently. I, mm -hmm. I tend to dress up. I, I dress uh, a little better than I would when I'm actually working. You know, my, my outfit when I'm photographing is, again, that black hoodie and, and blue jeans because I'm comfortable. But you got to feel good and look good in order to make those, those photos look good at the same time. Like You got to know what their structure's like. You have to know what they feel like. And I think that's an extreme important aspect of it. And since as fashion photographers, we tend to have to network at events and parties and things like that. You want to look at your best at those parties and events. So you have to dress in a certain way. So people are, people respect you and know you for the way that you do dress in when my I, industry. When I look at the, the, the fashion photography that includes women, it's, it's the, I have an appreciation for the work that the models do <laughs> because it seems like it's a, a, a very athletic ballet that they sometimes are involved in, in terms of the movement of their body, the angle of their hips, their legs, their neck. But with men, it's, it's not exactly the same thing. So, <laughs> uh, but there is an art to it because, you know, just, just putting on a good suit doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a good photograph of a man. So what are you looking for and what are you trying to elicit from your male models, your male subjects when you're photographing them? The honest truth is comfort. Um, 
I try to make my, my subjects feel as comfortable as possible. So I've been more inclined to getting uh, more candid shots because of that, specifically because men between, okay, so this is, this is my stylist term, but I'm going to use it anyway, like hand posing. Because you, there's so little that men's hands aren't beautiful. They're rough, they're rugged, they're meant for use and functionality, right? But most men, when they pose, they have like Lego hands, like it's those, the two C's, like a little Lego man. <laughs> but when they're comfortable, they're not thinking about those things. So shooting them candidly, you know, saying, okay, um, I want you to pose in this position and end in this position, in this pose. And all because you want the, the intermediary, you want the candid shot in between. That's what I'm looking for. Um, I, I try to make, look, get men to look as comfortable and fluid as possible because I don't think naturally that's our our nature. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about expression because I think one of the things I notice when I see a lot of uh, fascist photography of men, especially sort of the young, is sort of this stoic look uh, that seems to <laughs> pervade every shot that I see, especially if they're dark haired and they're just like, they're not necessarily, it's a male version of pouting. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. So, so I, I think that it's, it's, it's one thing if that's the look everyone's going for, but there has to be some variety there. And and when you're going for your work and you're trying to make something different, let's talk about sort of the expression or the emotion that you want your subject to convey other than, you know, the sort of the lone Clint Eastwood figure standing, <laughs> you know, in the, in the direct sunlight, you know, waiting for someone to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, nonverbal communication, like you just said, is extremely important in the final image. And I'm trying to embody whatever the clothes actually look like. There is a there is kind of that brooding look in a lot of the photos present day. Um, I think that has to do with with thought. You know, that that thought process of that man's thinking about something, even if he is looking brooding. There's something there. There's there's mm -hmm. a sense of intelligence behind that man, but. If I'm shooting a portrait, because I also shoot, it's portrait in fashion. If I'm shooting a portrait, I don't want brooding males. That's not what I'm looking for. I want somebody to look their best. So again, that the candid shots are important. I make a lot of jokes on set and I make a lot of sometimes inappropriate jokes, but it makes people laugh, you know, and, and that's what I'm looking for. Even the models, you know, what I'm telling stories here, like with fashion photography, our, our work is called uh, stories. Um, anytime an editorial is done, it's it's a little mini visual story. So what I need to communicate is the story that we're looking for. Are you alone? Are you happy? Are you desolate? Are you looking for someone? Are you uh, are you the happiest person? Did you win the lotto and you can't tell anybody? And you really you know those concepts. That's what I'm trying to get them to emote. So not many models or clients are great actors. So I need to find out for that specific shot, how to get them to smile or how to get them to, what are they looking for? So I might say something to make them wonder about something and they'll have that face of like wonder or I'll have them and tell them an appropriate joke and they'll have like, look down that snickering smile. That's mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. So those are kind of like my little techniques to use when I'm photographing men to get different emotions out of them. You mentioned the, the course you're going to be doing uh, in Creative Live and this will be the third one that you've done. And um, 
Tell me a little about what goes into preparing for that, because those things are pretty intensive. I mean, it's not just two or three hours. I mean, you're putting in full days for two or three days in a row. Uh, I look at that in terms of just as the instructor preparing for that. That must be pretty daunting. So can you give us a little glimpse in terms of what's involved on the back end to make that to make that happen? Absolutely. Um, the first video class that we ended up putting together, I spent about, I would say, a month of solid work to put that three-day class together, you know, between the two of us and putting content together. Um, the second class, a couple days only because it was an hour and a half. This one's probably going to take me about a month and a half of work to put together. And that means shooting content, shooting material. And it's not that I don't have content to show. It's that educational content is different than just standard content. If you're trying to show posing, you might not have poses in your client set because you, you took 100 images and those are decent images, but they're not showcasing the educational concepts that you're trying to show. Um, and then also learning shooting material that you're trying to even yourself learn how to decipher what you're doing so you can relay it. So that's another thing. So it's a lot of homework. It's definitely a lot of homework. But it's, it's, I can't tell you how beneficial it is to be able to do all that homework, to be able to relay and make other people's lives easier to do that work. When you put the, together these courses, what did you learn about yourself and your work that you weren't really, that wasn't uh, especially obvious to you while you were just doing it? Um, that I took a lot of concepts from, from my childhood of drawing. Um, and then I take a lot of concepts from mimicking other, what other people are doing on set. For example, the makeup artist that does contouring for women, um, she does light application for men, but it, it's not as prevalent of, of uh, contouring. The kind of looking at lights and highlights, sorry, highlights and shadows to darken or highlight certain areas of the, the face to enhance those features. Um, I started taking a lot of what they were doing in my portrait photography with lighting. Um, and I just had an article that I wrote for F-Stoppers on that same, same uh, principle of contouring with light. Uh, let's say people with rounder faces, I want them to look not as round, but I don't want to liquefy them because then that's not showing who they really are. So if you want to accentuate just the center of the face and the eyes and the chin and, and the forehead, you need to use two V-flats on either side to kind of dilute the light away from the subject so you focus just on their face. You know, those concepts I kind of take from different areas. Well, video is a big part of what you do now. Um, I could spend a whole conversation talking to you just about that subject matter, but, but briefly tell us why is that important in terms of what you're doing now? Uh, video specifically? Yeah. Okay. Um, video is, it's an extreme, it's an extremely useful tool for marketing. Um, I use it for the behind the scenes videos. I've been doing a lot of different advertising, uh, working with a lot of different clients now for, Flixels, if you ever heard of Flixel. No, no, I haven't heard of that. It's, uh, Tyra Banks use them, uses them a lot on America's Next Top Model. I think she's actually a part owner of the company. Um, Flixels are moving images. So they're technically, you're shooting video to capture uh, moving images. They're just cinemagraphs. Oh, okay. Uh, and it's their own proprietary software to make cinemagraphs easier. So I've been doing a lot of cinemagraphs and incorporating video with, with photography. Um, when it comes to fashion specifically, a photo says 
what the, the product looks like. Video specifically shows what the product interacts with the environment. Like, for example, um, let's say a blazer or a jacket, the way that it moves in the wind, uh, the way that it, it's moves and structured. Like if you see a trench coat, is it solid? Is it rigid? In a photo, you might not be able to tell, but with the video, you can tell what the material looks like. You can't necessarily tell that from a photo. And that's why I feel video is imperative for, for clients specifically. Mm. You know, when you were back in that, in that cubicle, looking at all those older guys around you and the fact that they were unhappy, and now you're in, 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 in a position that is 180 degrees away from that. So now, now that you're where you are right now, first off, uh, are you happy? But more importantly, what did you gain that you couldn't have possibly anticipated or thought about back then? Sense of adventure in life and, and being able to just travel and do things and learn new concepts and be more open-minded. Um, sitting behind a desk, it, it eats away at you slowly. I, and that's, excuse me, I'm not going to say that for every individual I retract that. For me, it started eating away my, my personality slowly. Um, I kind of just felt like a, a puppet. You know, you do the same thing day in, day out. You don't have a sense of adventure. You know, with photography specifically, you get to, you get to do new things every single day. You know, even, even during the bad days, it doesn't compare to a good day working behind a desk for me. Well, my, last, well, my last question is that I, I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Um, I love Billy Kidd's work. He's one of my, my current favorite photographers. Um, he shoots a lot of different campaigns. I love it specifically because it's very, very simple um, with beautiful attention to detail and emotional work uh, and the way that he emotes people's expressions. And it's just, it's so beautiful and simple all at once. I actually think he, uh, he won, I think, fashion photographer for PDN several years in a row now. Mm. He's a beautiful photographer. You definitely have to check him out. And where can people go to find out more about you and what you're doing? Because <laughs> I'm a little bit dyslexic. My <laughs> site is literally my name backwards. It's uh, sagerfedge.com or whoever, however you want to say it. It's spelled uh, S-A-J-O-R-F-F-E-J. And uh, the second, the guy who owns jeffrojas.com decides to either A, sell it to me, or B, uh, let it lapse, I will purchase it and make it uh, official that way. <laughs> And where can people find out? Uh, give us the details on your uh, Creative Life course. Absolutely. Um, I'll be teaching Creative Life on uh, Class on Men's Portraiture, November 24th and 25th, 2014. Great. Well, thank you so much, man. I really enjoyed having the chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for making the time this morning. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50, or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at Incompetech.com. 
www.thecandidframe.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.